call is being recorded. To accept the call, press 3. John Gate. If I found a body in your trunk, do I assume that you kidnapped him, tortured him, raped him, and threw him in the trunk? I'm Elizabeth Rome. Join Eric Roberts and me as we take you inside the brutal minds of the most prolific serial killers the world has ever known. She looks like she's screaming, but she's found a second some oxygen after a little time on my rope. Even better is the sight of her face as she watches me dig her grave. In season one of Killer's Vault, Gerard Schaefer, John Wayne Gacy, Richard Ramirez, David Gore, and toolbox killers Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris reveal their disturbing childhood memories, the thrill of taking lives, and their desire to kill again. One whore drowned in her own vomit while watching me disembowel her girlfriend. Through never-before-seen or heard letters and phone calls, these personal accounts of murder and mayhem will be unleashed for the first time as we open The Killer's Vault. Welcome to The Alarmist. This is a special episode about The Killer's Vault that's going to air on June 28th. Let us begin. The fifth most decorated NYPD police officer in the history of the force. He has been through a living hell himself, and he is a very fine-tuned individual who understands the mind of a murderer. Let's bring on Rob Sia, and let's talk about this. Hi, Rob. Hey, Jesse. Nice to meet you. Pleasure. Nice to meet you, sir. Wow. You have, I, I, read, I read your history, and what I'd like to understand is how you go through what you go through, questioning your own, you know, your own corrupt, you know, the, the corruption that's around you, to be going through all this type of stuff, and then suddenly you're led to dealing with the most heinous murderers in the history of, of America that America's ever fostered. Give us, give the viewers some insight about you that might not know who you are. Um, I, I was an NYPD uh, detective um, through through uh, through all of the 80s, and uh, I got off in 1997. Uh, I got injured, and I I, I got off the job. Um, and then I, um, but I was always interested. I mean, I, I worked a lot of cases, as you can imagine, throughout the 80s and the 90s. Um, you know, uh, I, I was in uh, major case narcotics, so we, we were handling um, um, uh, drug murders. And um, so I've been through all of that, you know, my entire life. But there was a serial killer back in the 80s in, in, the South, in Williamsburg, which is now, um, um, you know, a um, really up-class neighborhood but back in the day it was a mess and and there was a serial killer that was that was murdering back then and uh we we never caught him but uh i got extremely interested in it uh, back then and i i um i studied through it you know throughout the years i read tons of books and a lot of research and then when we came upon the letters for for our podcast um killer's vault um i was um i was blown away and and the reason I was so blown away is I, I actually got uh, um, uh, I, 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 I sort of got sick when I was reading some of the some of the letters as a, as a detective. This is from Richard and, and Barbara Dent. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We got there. How did they get access to this stuff? And, and, well, well, Richard you know, and Barbara, I would like to get some backstory. Yeah. Richard and Barbara, they they uh started writing they they started this letter campaign probably back in 90 or 91 something like that and they continued writing uh, until Richie died i guess in 2005 2006 so as you can imagine there's thousands of letters that they that they accrued and um i mean they right across the board they they contacted every most of the the Sierra killers throughout those years and beyond Schaefer, bundy uh all the way up through the seventies um, till until he passed away, and so I was uh, I was reading some of the letters, and you know, as a detective, when you come across a dead body or there's multiples, um, a horrific scene, there there you're you're kind of detached from it because that's your job, um, and it's I can't explain it, but when you read the letters, and there is corroboration from some of these letters. Um, you uh, or, or court testimony, which I've also writing these podcasts, I would have to, you know, corroborate a lot of the the material. And when when there's when there is corroboration, um, and the 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 writer is is detailing how he murdered these people, 
the joy with which he had when he was writing it to relive it and just reading the the incredible brutality that you know they visited upon these kids these girls i mean it just is um it you was said, you said a moment ago that you actually got sick you have seen everything yeah For you to get queasy must have, what what was in those letters uh, that, that we've never heard before that maybe you can share with us sure the uh these this particular uh, these particular killers were the were the toolbox killers, and they were active uh, from '79 until uh, from June of '79, uh, and they got caught in October on uh, right after Halloween. Uh, and what and, was their what was their, uh, their 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 signature and how they murdered people? They were using uh, well, they were strangulation, but prior to it, they were they were they were sadists. So they would torture the girls using commonly found items in a toolbox. Um, and they would do doubles. They would grab two kids. Or, and their whole objective, um, they met each other in prison. And their objective when they met in prison was, I, we want to kill every age of the teenage for a teenage girl, 13 through 19. That was their objective when they got out. Once they got out, they both got out within months. They met. They started doing cold runs. They found the place where they were going to do their, you know, the rapes and, and the murders. And um, they started abducting girls right out of the van. Some were hitchhikers. Some they coerced into the van. Um, and so, what they, were some of the things in the letters that you discovered that we don't know about that maybe you can share that really is kind of mind-boggling? Yeah, the um, they would use the vice grip pliers to uh, and and ice picks. So they would take an ice pick and ram it straight through a breast, and then they would twist it and pull it. And rip it out. They would use the uh, vice grips to mangle and mash their their breasts, their nipples. They would tear them oh. off, and they were taping this uh, on a tape recorder. They and filmed. They filmed all. They were taping it, and they were taking photos. Don't forget, this is 1979. So, so, but long story short, and do you guys what, have do you guys have copies of this stuff? Yes. When they were oh. abducted, when they were abducted, they, one of the tapes was found inside the van that they used, which they called the Murder Mac, a GMC van that they both bought for the purpose of um, committing these crimes. And when the tape was played during um, the trial, half the courtroom ran out within the first minute because it was so horrific, the girl screams, that, that uh, they, they had a call. So they actually, they, the, the jury was actually watching this. No, they weren't watching. They were listening. That's and, even worse. Yeah, they were listening. But what they did also was they would take Polaroid photos while they were torturing them so you could see the, the horror in their faces. And then you're listening to it. And these guys would put it in their – like you would put a, a, a CD in your car. They would put it in and listen to it as they drove, and they found it extremely funny. Um, but, yeah. but what really got me um, sick was um, – because it had been corroborated by five different witnesses, uh, jailhouse witnesses, and everything right. they said all matched. And what, what just um, nauseated me was the detail and the time that they took to torture these girls. They had two young girls, 13 and 15. They were friends. They had them for two days in their van, and they just eviscerated them for two days. Two days. Oh, um, they would tell one girl that they had their last victim they got her coming out of a church church meeting and they abducted her. They, they pulled her into the van, drove off. And after hours and hours of torture and rape, she asked them, um, do you mind if I pray before you kill me? Oh and they just laughed at her. They took the, a wire hanger, which was their, their signature. They wrapped it around her neck and they used the vice requires to twist it oh and slowly strangle her. So the, now, and, I've just been informed that we have a special guest. Can you introduce him? Rob Webb is uh, our special guest. And tell, uh, tell us a little bit about him. Rob Webb is an amazing individual. Rob Webb has been, we found Rob Webb through, through our research. Um, he has been collecting letters uh, from serial killers from probably 1990. And his collection is so uh, uh, interesting and intense because the, the the way that he wrote his letters, he really had a purpose. Um, a, a lot of folks write letters to, you know, just, uh, you know, it's very surface stuff. But Rob Webb, his letters were 
they, 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 he was exploring and he was also sharing his life with these killers. And I'm, I'm sure he'll tell you why, but reading his letters, the responses from the killers, it was very deep, very personal, which allowed us to, to learn a lot about the killers, but also gave me a lot of insight into how to write these, their backstories and, you know, their stories, their current stories. You're the surprise guest I've been told about. So explain why this is a surprise which, uh, and, and what you do. Well, um, I'm, I actively and still pursue and collect crime memorabilia. Uh, I write uh, individuals that are incarcerated. Uh, I have since the early 90s. Um, and I write on a very pace, uh, personal basis. Uh, I don't really write for the, the goal of actually creating a collection, although that's what has happened over the years. It turned out to be uh, a, a great uh, accumulation of letters, which led on to artifacts and visitations, and uh, it turned into this this a huge amount of work, really volumes of work. And so you with, dealt with Richard, you dealt with Richard and Barbara. Yeah. No, I did not. I I actually wrote the same people at the same time. We were able to take our letters, and you can see where they interlap. Uh, with each other because he would get a letter one day I would get a letter the same day discussing the same subjects and now is there anything new that you can tell us in those letters that we've never heard before and with who John Wayne Gacy seems to be the most people most fascinated with him I'm just curious you know did you learn anything further about him that you didn't know before well I did when I went to visit him the visitation is where I started how did to get you get access to him though? How, did, how did that happen well, back then, visitation was a little bit easier. It wasn't quite as difficult. You didn't have as many hoops to jump through as you do now, although it's still not that difficult. Uh, but I had written him for some time, and uh, we developed a relationship. And one of my goals was to meet him. If I'm going to write somebody, well, I wanted to hear his side of the story. Uh, not that I expected to be any different, but I didn't know what to expect. And so I did a lot of preparation and uh, I asked him about the visitation. I filled out the paperwork that was necessary to request a visitation to the prison. And I, I drove to Menard and uh, I went to the visit. The prison didn't cross check you? I mean, who, who are you to get this access? How did you convince well, them? They published actually two books. Uh, they call him Mr. Gacy and more letters to John Wayne Gacy. And they're, they're basically books of correspondence where people were writing to ask to come visit him. He was allowed six or seven visits, I think, a month. And uh, with that, uh, he, he allowed me to be one of those visits. Now, he got so many requests from all the different news agencies, but he was not going to just give away his visits to those people because he didn't feel it was going to be beneficial to him. And uh, I think he wanted regular people as well because it... it it made him still have that that real touch with society. So talked about what it was like being face to face with this guy. I've listened to audio recordings and his voice is chilling. Well, here's the thing. I, I did take a lot of phone calls, so I knew what his voice was going to sound like. Uh, really, the whole experience, just talking about the visitation, it's a story upon itself. Just going to the prison initially, uh, the, the river had just flooded. I think it's the, the, the main river that it's on. There was a huge flood and mud was everywhere. And I tried to park my vehicle, excuse me. And unfortunately, uh, at the time, I, it was in a place it wasn't allowed. And it came over this booming PA from a tower, a gun tower. You cannot park there. It's not authorized. And of course, I've, I've never been to a prison at this point in my life. I had never been on any visitation. So I didn't know what to expect. So immediately, that kind of gets your heart racing a little. I go into the prison, and I'm not even in the right prison. Uh, th that part of Menard, down by the river, is for the general inmates, and it's not where they house death row. And so that was all the way up on the hill. So there was actually no parking whatsoever. You go up there, it was just a strip of... So uh, so, so what did they do? They, they brought you to see him? I mean, what was that first moment like when you laid eyes on John Wayne Gacy but, and you John go, Wayne Gacy's laying eyes on you? What, what do you say to each other? That That's what, that's kind of the thing that, that, you know, when you walk in, you don't really just go in, you go through the gates, you go through all this process of signing in and, uh, you know, you uh, are giving the jail permission to put your stuff in a locker at that time and uh, 
so you don't carry anything in. And uh, so I went up an elevator. I got to the death row section, and there's uh, a there's a, there's a oh yes, there's a lot. <laughs> Sounds like we're shopping shoppers today well, in death row. We have John Wayne Gacy. We have David they, they had the way the layout of it is there's three visiting rooms and the cells are kind of on the other side of all that and they brought them around and it's in a kind of a U shape and in this log area where the guards so they brought sit, him to you they brought him to you yes but I was signing in the log book and I kind of froze up because you know you have to put your name your address where you're from and some information and then it said relationship to inmate and as I'm looking down at the log book uh, I realize. I don't know what to put. And the guard goes, it's okay. You can put down friend. It's all right. And he kind of laughed because he saw me lock up. And as he was, as I was putting down friend, they had brought John around the back and he, his voice, he was like, Hey Rob, how are you? And he said, it, Hey Rob, how are you? Like, yeah, like cause he knew I, buddy? Oh yeah. Well, he knew he'd expect me. And, and uh, it caught me off guard. And I had a friend with me, of course, that I tried to get him to write and stuff, but he wasn't quite as into it as I was. But uh, so we, uh, it, he caught me off guard. It kind of startled me. So you go through a sally port. I don't know if you know what that is. No, what's a sally port? A sally port, basically, at, at your, it's a set, they had vending machines. They had a gate, and it's a little space, and then another gate. So they put you in the sally port. That's the area between the two gates. So you can actually be locked in, and then they open the one. So you don't have access just to run in and out. Uh, so then they let you into visitation. So we go in and we sit down in the room. The table is about waist high, metal or so, and there's uh, four stools. So what's the, the first, first thing? What's the first thing that you ask him, or did he ask you a question first? The, what struck me, you know, immediately is your when you look at the individual and what you imagine and, and this is this is what was going through my mind his stature i was expecting this larger than life individual and because of everything you read and everything you start to build up and the way we talked on the phone and some of the letters and everything it just made me think you know larger than life he was going to be this massive individual when the reality was he was just a couple inches taller than me and i'm not very tall myself but he was just a heavy set guy now and when you he, hear him speak now now when you hear him speak and you hear that voice if you've heard over audio recordings. I mean, you, you must study those that, that voice. I mean, that's kind of what you do when you're profiling somebody. When you hear it on the phone and then you're hearing it in person, what was the differences that you, that you noticed? Well, it really was his approach because he got up behind me and put his hands, and he's in handcuffs, but that's it. And he puts his hands on my shoulders and he leans down and he's whispers. He's allowed to touch you? They, they allowed him to, you, they allowed yeah, him to touch you? Yeah, you're in, you're in a little room, and the camera's up in the corner of the room. And uh, so but they watch. to have contact with a, with a yes. death row inmate? Yes you, could, yes, you could have contact. Back then, you could, Not especially now. at that facility. But Never. it depends That's on the facility, crazy. I imagine. So how did you feel when you have John Wayne Gacy with his hands cuffed, putting his well, hands on your back? What to comfort you? <laughs> Here, here's the thing: when you when you know and you do take the time to research his crimes and his murders, he thrived on reaction. That was one of his uh, things that was very important to him uh, during the times he was torturing people. The, the reaction and getting that feedback. So exactly is what he was doing to me was trying to elicit a reaction that may be not so positive, uh, just due to the fact that he wants to make me very nervous or see what he can feel from me. And, you know, I knew this. So I just immediately said, if you do that, you know, you're going to lose all the, the great books I've been sending you. I know I've been sending you all your good reading material. You don't want to lose your reading material. And when he seen, he couldn't get that kind of reaction from me. So did you get a, did you get a little nugget out of him? Something you've never heard before? Can you share it with uh, well, him? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the one thing he did say, though, after that, he said, well, he kind of laughed because he didn't get me to react. But he said, yeah, you know, you didn't really do so much, but my my daughter brought my future son-in-law in, and you should have seen him when I did that to him. I scared the living shit out of him. And uh, yeah, and, and so he got to tell you anything. Did he tell you anything that you know that's a revelation? Most certainly, I think because I don't know if it's I would say a revelation, but he never really confessed to a lot of stuff. And I don't talk about the victims in name, uh, but we were after so many hours, and we ate lunch with him. You know, you kind of run out of things to talk about. 
And so we were just kind of sitting there. And, you ate lunch with John Wayne Gacy? Yes, because he, he what actually did he, he had the nerve to tell the guard, okay, as they put us in the room, he I tells the guard. I can't believe my ears that you had lunch with John Wayne Gacy. People brag about having lunch. This is unusual. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, he, they, so what the death row inmates do is they make deals with the other inmates. So when they get visits, they forfeit their lunch. So we got the other inmates lunch. So he tells the guard as we go in to sit down, lunch, deliver lunch promptly at 11.30. And the guard looks at him and he goes, yeah, John, sure, whatever. And that didn't really register with me at the time. Again, not knowing prison, not being in the system, not at that time knowing how things work. Well, it comes every day at 11.30. So he knows this. So it's his way of showing his, he so still has the do you remember? Do you remember what you- Oh, what yes, you I remember. I remember completely because I just kind of picked at it and I didn't like it. And my friend ate everything because he was starving. And John told him, hey, look, you don't have to eat the styrofoam. You're going to get to go home today. You know, he had a great sense of humor. He was really funny. Uh, but I, I was that a, serial, a serial killer with a great sense of humor. I can imagine how his victims must have reacted to that. He, sense he of made about it. It wasn't humorous probably at that time for sure. But I'm telling you, as far as an entertainer and a guy that can help you pass time, talk to you, be very, very entertaining and capture that time. He, he was very capable of that. Uh, it, it, we had we had great conversation until it kind of ran out of gas. But once we did that, then I was able to kind of catch him at a more weakened state, a little bit more fatigued in the conversation. And then I started to get him to answer things, you know, about the last Mike, victim. Mike, what did he answer? What did he answer? Well, he, the, the time... So we started discussing what I felt my theory was and why he committed the murders. And you and could what feel, did he tell you? well, you could feel the tension build in the room. It was like a bubble, like it was going to pop. It was a lengthy story, but I went through his history and I said, you know, this is kind of what I feel happened. And he didn't say yes or didn't say no, but he looked down at the floor and then he started talking about the last victim. And he said, look, I was very angry uh, with that situation. I had to take the phone call. And, you know, and he goes, a stupid kid. He goes, like, if he had just wiggled his head, he never would have died. The hammer handle would have, you know, came undone and he would have never strangled. And I just looked at him and I couldn't believe the audacity of that because, and I'm like, John, he just he just would have lived longer for you to torture to make him suffer more. Well, how does that sound? Did you say that to him? That oh, yes. Longer for you to yes. Yes. What, what was his reaction? It, it, he had no answer for that because he knew I was right. Uh, he was more angry about being deprived of his his pleasure. You know, you know, this sounds like a uh, Hannibal Lecter moment with Clarice Stallings, the FBI agent, and Hannibal Lecter. It's the same kind of diet, you know, uh, dichotomy here. You're sitting there talking to a guy that's killed how many people? How many people did just for the record did John Wayne Gacy kill? Thirty-two convictions, I think he had. And and what that's do you think the number was. Well, I believe that's what he killed. I don't believe there was extra bodies everywhere. And that's that's because we all love conspiracies. I, I don't believe there was any more because he was he was dumping and where he was dumping at. The only, and I asked him, I said, why did you break your MO, your method of operation? Why did you change up? Because the last four victims went into the Death Plains River and it, it just didn't make sense to me. You already had a place that you were disposing them. And just as calm as can be, Without, without any hesitation, in his handcuffs, he reached over and he patted me on my knee. And he goes, but Rob, he goes, my crawl space was full. How is this show, because there's a lot of podcasts on this subject, how is this going to be different than all the others? Well, I think what separates this show from the other shows, and I'm a big fan of other podcasts as well, and I'm, I actively listen to a lot of different things is that the material, the source material that we're using to make the show is different and very unique from other shows. That being said, it's from a personal collection. A, a good portion of it uh, has been mine uh, of letters and correspondence of 30 plus years. And uh, it's a little less, correct? It's, it's pretty close to that. It, it's, it stacks. I wouldn't say it was that wasn't all mine. Uh, but it's it's a pretty big stack of letters. I can tell you that. At one point, I was actively writing 300 different inmates at one time. You know, it's very interesting, the fact that, that Robert, that you, Mr. Webb, that you were able to figure out how to get, technically, it's what I do as a journalist. Uh, the, 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 the aim is to disarm someone. 
How did you, how were, how were you able to disarm these notorious, you know, killers? I mean, it, it's, it's some of the greatest, you know, people I've interviewed in politics, they're, they're, they're pros. They don't allow you to steer any kind of conversation. They're always in control. How did you get that control from someone like John Wayne Gacy or David Berkowitz or someone like that? Explain the process, because that's a pretty big talent to be able to do something like that. Well, I think in my case, it wasn't a matter of me trying to seek control of the conversation. I think the narrative of the conversation was going to go naturally, and that's what, what my goal was. And by doing so, I wrote about my daily activities, and my letters were quite lengthy. And when I say that, within seven, sometimes maybe even 10 pages over a period of days. So I was actually kind of involving them into day-to-day -day activities. Now, you have to understand uh, these people are incarcerated and have been for some time or are going to be for some time. And those conditions, well, they're, they're starved for uh, normal activities uh, in everyday life. I mean, when I spoke with Gacy during the visitation, I asked him if there was one thing you could do today, if I could take you out with me when I left, what would you want to do? And he told me he'd want to go bowling and walk on, walk on grass barefoot. Because he had never felt that. <laughs> simple pleasures, simple pleasures. Now, what about his fascination with clowns? Did you ever get a chance to talk to him about that? You know, yeah. Johnny, Johnny Depp, and and you know, remember it was written about how Johnny Depp and Gacy were communicating and how he, you know, they were going back and forth because they were both fascinated with clowns. We all know how Johnny Depp ended up, but <laughs> I'd like to know, you know, did he ever talk about that with you? We spoke about it, but the clown thing was, again, it was part of his, uh, for his behavior of his desire of wanting attention and being the center of attention. Uh, when he was uh, at the hospitals and seeing the sick kids and the, the one that was the focus, uh, even though he was the one seeing the, you know, like I said, seeing the sick children, but still the focus of the event, uh, he was fine with that when he would not really be so fond of doing the the, the clown stuff is when he had to be a helper, per se, like to keep kids in line for when they had to see Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or things like that. He really was miserable with stuff like that because it was all about him. It was all about him getting the attention, truly, in the bottom line. Now, and, you know, oh, go ahead, go ahead, John. What I was going to say, Jesse, is, is, is that, that they developed such a relationship and it's, it's, it's invaluable for us and, and the audience because – you know, John Wayne Gacy is just a born liar uh, uh, to all the uh, psychologists, the cops, the detectives, everyone he spoke to. He never really told the truth. But when he develops this relationship with Rob Webb over, uh, you know, years, they, they, they corresponded. Rob Webb was able to break him down and just cut through all, the, all of the nonsense. Um, cut through all the bullshit. He had, he had a plethora of information that he developed over that time. Right. So, yep. so well, yes. So our audience is going to uh, uh, hear those letters that he had with Rob, um, and and just get so much more insight than than they would have ever that they could ever get um, because of this personal rela relationship. He was telling him things that you know he uh, he didn't uh, speak with anyone else. You know, and you know it's real yeah. because. They developed this long-term relationship, and Rob has these relationships with so many other killers. I mean, uh, Rob, the, can you sleep? Can you? Do you guys have? Do you ever have nightmares about this stuff? I did. I did for sure. Yeah, I have a daughter. Yeah, as you can imagine. All right, so you're a parent as well. Are you a parent, Rob? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Did you ever have sleepless nights? You know, you're talking to these guys, and, and not you hear really. some pretty morbid shit. Uh, you know, sometimes I would hear things that were disturbing, but, you know, you can turn on the news and hear things that are disturbing just as well that would, would bother me just as bad as what I was dealing with when I would write these individuals. So, I mean, if it was going to make me lose sleep, it would be just as bad hearing the news. So um, I didn't really have a problem with that aspect of it. I was able to kind of put that aside. Uh I never really wrote about the crimes per se because I wanted to know more personal things. So I just developed that type of relationship because everybody else would be writing for the, the, the fluff or the, the, and they know what they're getting. They know who wants autographs. They know who wants uh, those type of stories. And uh, I'm more interested in what was it like when they were growing up and what meant thing, what was important to them and 
now that they're incarcerated, uh, what what do they hang on to? And you know, I know they don't have a lot to look forward to because of what's going to be their fate. Uh, but it's right. interesting to see the change. And Jesse, I noticed you have a clown. I noticed you have a clown hanging behind you. Is there any? Uh, was that done on purpose? That's John did that. That's a that's called the skull clown, the one that's over this shoulder, and uh, that was done by John and uh, sent to me. Um, I, I got it through his art dealer, and uh, it uh, it was personalized on the back a couple times, and uh, it's something he did for me at the prison. I just want to jump in. What makes Rob really unique uh, uh, and his letters uh, uh, and his help on the show, because he's working on the show with us, what makes him it really unique is, and I'm speaking for Rob, and I hope he doesn't mind, you know, Rob was able to um, to get on their level because Rob went through some stuff as, as a, a young man, as a child, similar to some of the things that they went through. So oh, that, really? What did you? What was that that you went through, Robert? Well, I didn't have the greatest childhood, but you know, I won't use that as an excuse for things. But I, I was not headed down the greatest road, to be honest with you. And uh, you know, Were one you of the reasons abused I, growing up. Yes, and and one of the things that uh, the reason that I wrote these people is, you know, being the black sheep of my own family, uh, uh, I knew that I could write these 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 guys and i wouldn't be judged and uh i didn't judge them either and i think that came across in my letters and that was really important why 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 were you the black sheep of your own family what happened to you well i had a i i think the our whole family had a huge chemical imbalance of course back then uh in the 60s that wasn't really uh, a big topic of discussion, uh, or they didn't really know about those things, or or take care or, or deal with those situations, and especially mental health problems. And I I I really believe that my mom had a horrible horrible mental health issue, and uh, unfortunately it it went through the family. Uh, I had a brother at 52 that committed suicide. I had a sister at 18 commit suicide, and uh, you know I've I've had my uh, issues along the way. But I've refused to go that way just because of the fact that they did. And uh, the important know. thing is that 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 you were able. The important thing is is that is that he was able to to because he, he knew all about the serial killers before he's writing them, obviously. So he knew kind of knew what their background was, their backstories. So he was able to 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 um, to use his own um, uh, pain and suffering. And connect with them, and that's why they developed this amazing relationship. Boy, the fact it makes also, you very vulnerable to do that. Well, and also the fact that since since I went through such I, I went through such a horrible childhood in the sense that you know it was so unbalanced because of one side versus the other. Uh, that being said, my escape was reading, and so I I got anything I could in my hands to read, and my father would let me read at the dinner table. Anything, I, I, I was reading 12th grade level at fourth grade because of the books I was reading. I may not be able to pronounce the word properly, but I knew the definition of it. I knew what it meant. So at that point, I discovered uh, mobsters and the mafia and you know Bonnie and Clyde. So I started reading all the true crime books back then I could find at 10 years old. And my parents didn't, they didn't, I didn't have a filter. They let me read anything. I saw The Exorcist when I was 10. You know, the, the public doesn't know all this stuff. You know, they watch a show. They think, you know, playing Rob Sia is Rob Sia. <laughs> you know, they don't really realize that the things that you have gone through have prepared you to deal with a subject as dark as this. And speaking of dark, I want to know why. When you talk about serial killers, it's all men. <laughs> Where are yeah. the women serial killers? Why? What is wrong with the men? Well, there are. I mean, there are. There, there are. There are female serial killers. But I think I don't know I, any. Can you say, enlighten us? Um, uh, Warnos. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, well, Aileen Warnos, just right off the top. I mean, you, you, you definitely have them. But when you find them, most of the time they're going to be in a partnered relationship. But then you'll have your individual ones as well. But it's it there. It's predominantly white males. Yes, it, it is, and that's the you know the category that it falls under, unfortunately. But but you'll, why, you'll is find that? why is that, do you think? 
Well, I, I would have to say that, in my opinion, it, it goes way back. If you want to talk about the breakdown of the nuclear family, when I started studying everything, when I bought my first book as, as the Gacy book, and I started studying the things and looking at everything, and I started finding out or looking at society as a whole. And we can go back to the early 60s. And when you had the perfect society at that time, really in America, everything was thriving. Everything was going good. But, you know, through, slowly through change, the economics, and and then you have the gas crisis and, and families no longer are the same. The nuclear family is gone. Uh, it becomes a single family households. And I'm not saying, I'm not blaming the moms out there, but you got to look at a lot of things. Every time you go back and look at the history of a lot of the male killers, the mother figure is the mother figure of the mother is a, is a big part of that. There's also a great correlation. There's a, there's a, there's an interesting correlation that most of the, um, uh, many of the, the serial killers through the sixties, seventies uh, and the eighties, their parents, their father was in world war two. Right. So when they came back, they were, uh, they were, they, they, they had a, a difficult relationship with the mother and the father may have been uh, had issues from the war, but it's an amazing correlation. And you could go down the list of of most of the killers in the seventies. Their their father was in World War II, um, and that had something to do with it. But as Rob said, but see, also also hitting hitting was was acceptable. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say, I, I'm I'm uh, you know um, you know I, I I'm I'm proud to say I've never hit my kids, but they always say that hitting a, a kid, the kid doesn't understand why it's getting hit and it can trigger something much worse. And there was more, so, you know, I'm sorry, Jesse, and there, but it's beyond that. It's, it's the, it's the, uh, the mental abuse that these kids that they went through. It's the, uh, uh, coupled with the physical abuse. It's, it's the, um, rejection of a parent. Um, that's, that's key. And, and the, the, the one commonality that they all have, is is that um, they all had issues with with their parents? It all all goes back to the parent. Um, um, I got to interrupt. I just got word that Eric and Elizabeth are here. Fascinating stuff. We could have gone on for hours. This is an amazing, amazing uh, introspection into the human spirit and the human human condition. And thank you, Robert Webb, for being so open and so honest. Uh, I think. If I if we can accomplish anything, I hope people watching this will will take a closer look at themselves and the people around them about what that human spirit is and to recognize, um, you know, exactly, uh, you know, what we're looking at when you meet somebody to know that you're with a quality person and not some crazy person. But you'll never Thank know. You Thank you, man. And now we have Eric Roberts, Academy Award nominee for Runaway Train. The classic Pope of Greenwich Village, nominated three times for a Golden Globe Award. Eric Roberts is the voice of the Killer's Vault, which is coming on network in uh, June 28th. It'll be on every platform imaginable. The Killer's Vault. Eric Roberts, thank you for coming on, The Alarmist. Hey, hey Rob, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> Robert, Robert, Robert brought up a great point. I what what all these guys have in common and what Robert knows about firsthand, obviously, is child abuse. I mean, they all have that in common. That is the root of all their evil is child abuse. And sexual Robert knows through his own experience. That's why he could identify and talk to them on a level that was right there at the heart. But they got him and he got them and they knew it. So, so only a person, only a person who's been through that could really break down that wall with them. Well, it is so personal and it is such a betrayal of your parents to you that 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 you're scarred, buddy. You you never get through it completely. And uh and uh it's the most I mean, it's like if you ever meet a person who has a terrible stutter, know they were abused as a kid. That's what causes that. There's now, now, now I was saying earlier, you know. From the from the generate, we're all similar age here. We getting hit was was normal. Getting yeah, hit, we never questioned it. I think I think as boys, we all saw the belt at one point in our lives. <laughs> you know? Slaps across the face, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the 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 statistics are that that hitting a child because the child really doesn't know why it's being hit. It's too young to understand. Can trigger. A serial killer is that true? I mean, uh, were you were you hit as a kid, Eric, when you were growing up? Did you get hit? Uh, 
Oh yeah, it was just, it was just, it was part of discipline. Bam, bam, don't do that. And your father, and your father, did you believe in hitting? Uh, I, I, you know what? I have, I have a bunch of siblings and a bunch of children, a bunch of grandchildren who I don't really want to talk about this kind of thing on that kind of personal level about family members because it's going, it's only going to cause. So, 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 that specifically. Yeah, no, you don't have to mention any family members, but the, the whole idea of hitting, you know. The discipline, was, was, the discipline for my parents' generation was very different from how it came to us. Uh, my my generation got it, and they went, you don't hit children. You just don't under any circumstances. And my parents' generation, that was just your part of discipline, and uh, it's what they were raised with, so it's what they passed on. And it's only watching their mistakes did, did we learn in my generation. You know, but Jesse, also let's be let's be clear. It's not just it, it, to, to create a serial killer. It's a perfect storm. There there, there are physiology uh, uh, things uh, um, that they're born with, uh, genetic things that they're born with, um, because you can get four children from the same family, right? They all go through the same physical and mental abuse. Three of them will go on and become college graduates. One will become a serial killer. So it's not just that. It's not just the abuse. There's so much more that goes into it. Which is which is fascinating. So you're saying you think you think there's a genetic issue that needs to be explored a little bit further. And well, what he's saying is that's one 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 part of the recipe. It's a real recipe, and when wow. everything comes all like all like all like together, you get a winner like John Gacy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was <laughs> yeah. I mean, John Wayne Gacy. You know, let's talk about when you hear their voices. You know, you know, it's like. When, I know it's only a movie, you know, uh, the whole thing about Hannibal Lecter, but, you know, when you heard Anthony Hopkins portray that character, the voice, it rattled you, went right through you. Talk about those those killers and their voices, and, and which one of them, when you heard them speak, rattled you the most, affected you the most when you heard them speak? Robert, tell us. Well, I would have to say John by far because of just the tone of the conversation where it ended up because uh, with all the other guys that I spoke to and the phone calls I took there would be general conversations and it'd be fairly normal John would be normal with me for three quarters of the conversation and he always knew when he had about five minutes left and then that last five or ten minutes it always go into what kind of underwear do you have on I'm sitting here in my underwear talking to you and then it would turn into this whole sexually perverted conversation and I had to kind of deal with that to have the you know, opportunity to talk to him on the phone. Every, every, uh, Jesse, every letter, every single letter and phone call that, that, because we have phone recordings too, every letter that John Wayne Gacy wrote was sexually, it, it was dominated by sex. He was um, uh, an incredibly, uh, you know, he was a sexual pervert by far. So all of his letters, that's what the, the tone of the letters were. But, but I, I just want to get back to, to uh, the toolbox killers. Um, uh, Rob, uh, Rob Webb, um, developed a, a really strong relationship with Roy Norris, who was one part of the, of the toolbox killers. I'm, I'm getting to a point. Um, while, while I'm writing these, the, 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 the scripts for the, for the, uh, for the podcast, you know, uh, he went through uh, a pretty much uh, a neglected, you know, pretty bad childhood. He was in and out of Bureau of Child Welfare, uh, in and out of foster homes. His parents were, were very clear to him. He was unloved. Um, yet when I read the brutality that he did to these women, um, I I could have left out the the issues that he went through through a childhood, um, and that would make him that much more. Of of a heinous individual, um, but I just felt that that that, and I and I don't think again, kids go through the same thing, but they don't become serial killers, serial rapists, serial sadistics. He did, so I I included it and uh, his background so that there was some sort of context as to how he became this 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 uh, incredibly sadistic killer. But Rob, he considered Rob his nephew. Um, <laughs> A number of them. Uh, he was my big brother, kind of. Uh, that was Shawcross that wrote me as his nephew. 
Shawcross used to speak, and I apologize to correct you, but Shawcross used to write me and everything was like, hey, how you doing, my nephew? Because that's the way he looked at me. As, he was my uncle. That's the way we kind of wrote. Uh, with with Roy, Roy was definitely like my big brother. There's no question. And John tried to be a father figure. Oh, my God. It's so, it, it's so you know, <laughs> absurd. I mean, you hear all this stuff. I mean, but but the no, things I have to I have I have to ask you, Eric, because you know we're not living in a balanced world, and as we've seen over the last couple of years, there's a lot of crazy people out there. Are you worried? Are you doing taking extra precautions for your safety, your family's safety? Because you don't know whose interest you're going to pick out there. You don't know if there's a serial killer that's going to watch this. I mean, well, I, you're a high-profile name. How do you take precautions to protect yourself to make sure that you know you you, you don't have any uh, any repercussions from doing a show like this? Uh, I I I've already had about a dozen stalkers, and we've had to, had to talk with the FBI about them every time, and we have to deal with it like grown-ups, and you have to take it very seriously. It's not a game, and as we know from the examples that are out there, it can end very tragically. So you have to pay attention. And you have to give people credit for being insane because some people are, and you just have credit to, for being yeah. insane. What a it's like an oxymoron, you know. <laughs> I know, but it, it's also something that you should really, really focus on on occasion. And uh, just uh, what 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 got you know me so interested in besides your Rob's your coolness is in, in this whole in this whole project is uh, when he told me about Robert. And then also knowing what these guys have in common. You're way before uh, uh, hearing hearing Robert talk today, uh, n knowing that these guys all had that in common: child abuse, and uh, understanding that. And uh, it's something we have to get out there, and we have to get out there properly, not just oh, he was spanked as a kid. No, that's not. No, no. It's a whole and and. Uh, the whole, the whole you know, psychological abuse, the whole emotional abuse, the whole physical abuse, all of it, all put together. Then also with what they are, are, are like naturally chemically. And so, you know, it's, it's a recipe that uh, has to be exact. But as, 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 as these are examples of, it has been exact many times. I mean, you know, there was a guy that, that, uh, that Rob mentioned that uh, he never caught. And uh, they're dude, and they're bad peeps, and they're and they're spooky because you don't see them coming because they don't they don't look like wolves. They do no. not look like wolves. Nope. So we're 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 all we're we're all expecting a big bad guy. No, it's not going to happen. And they, no, they actually actually from what I've read, they they actually come out fairly normal. They blend in. You so, would never know. Look at You would never know you're sitting next to the most likable, calmest mildest man on the planet yet he's been through hell and back that's how he knows how to do with these people you don't you don't i mean and he said he could have gone down that road himself he said that okay look at him would, would you ever suspect that no, no i would never, never suspect but you know what after hearing this conversation and all you know does it make you look at people when you meet them for the first time a little differently does it make you think twice if you every day a little bit too perky <laughs> I'm an actor every day, all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about family members? <laughs> you know those long, those cousins that are twice removed. You know, you never know. They man. always say you family know. sometimes treats you worse than strangers. <laughs> you, you just never know. I mean, uh, you look. Right. At, I mean, Gary Ridgeway, a good, a good example. Gary Ridgeway um, would would keep his three year old son. In, or two-year-old uh, infant uh, child in the back seat of his car to lower the you know, the, 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 the the sort of fear level. Uh, so a prostitute would come over to the car. She'd see the kid in the car, and she said, "Okay, he's safe." The moment she got into the car, she was his. Um, so it's just incredible the the ruses that these guys and they're they're brilliant. They know how to do this. They know how to pull you in. Um, and 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 again, we explore that on this show. Through through the through their letters and through the research and 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 what we're how we're telling the stories, we're able to sort of extrapolate, you know, um, how these killers with their signatures and their MOs were. And the story how did you come up with the name the killers is by Robert being able to honestly do this in a way that nobody else could have done this because of what he knows. Yeah. It's cool, man. 
Thank you, man. It's Terrible. Cool. I, it, it gives you a psychological profile we would never get. You know, it's 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 also you know shows reflect the sign of the times. The fact that we're so fascinated by serial killers, the fact that you could do a show like this is a reflection on what's going on in our country right now, maybe the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what do you want people to take away from this, Eric? I mean, what, what, you know, what do you want the viewer to walk away with? An understanding, uh, I mean, lots of things, but just one like core issue is you have to be good to your children. If you're good to your children, they'll, those those individuals will be good to mankind. Has Julius, has, does Julia know about this? You'll have to ask her, pal. Come on. This is about this and us, okay? No, I'm just curious because <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a very controversial subject. It's yeah. a pretty amazing thing. I, 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 I think she knows about all my stuff. Yeah, every, everybody's going to know about this. It's, it's uh, because, again, it's so unique because we've got these letters that no one, has ever heard before inside really inside the, their mind and what they're thinking. And, and again, it's because of these relationships that, that, that Rob has developed uh, and, and created. Um, so uh, what, what you're going to take away from it is, is the, really the making of a murderer, uh, the making yeah, of Robert's, a Robert's foundation that then you Rob you built on is completely unique completely uncopyable and completely belongs to those two guys. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to educate people to the nth degree in the understanding and the empathy for these men. You don't want to be them. You don't want to, you don't want to, you know, make life better because of them, but to understand them is to, is, is to, to not repeat them. And yeah. And, and you know, you know, we, I had a real dilemma. I just want to tell you this. I had a, a real dilemma when when we were creating the show right because um if you don't include the brutality that they did that that that, that uh, the, the evisceration uh, of the women and men and young boys that they did well then what are we doing right so so my dilemma was do i write it um, um because it could feel exploitive right we're exploiting the murders but um, if you if you take that away, then um, the impact of what they did is no longer there. Um, so that was my dilemma, and and I chose to um, explain the murders exactly how they did. So the, the the show will certainly scare the bejesus out of out of anyone's listening, um, because <laughs> you go through um, some of the murders, uh, most of the murders anyway, um, how they did it, when they did it, what they were thinking about while they were doing it. Um, and and um, um, the after uh, effects of of their murders to to the community, to the families of the people that they that they murdered. Um, so it was a little difficult, but um, you know we, we got through it. Now it's the killers' vote. Where can they watch this? That people need to know. Uh, it drops June twenty eighth uh, on uh, across uh, Apple. Uh, you know all the platforms, uh, and um, and we're also. Uh, the uh, the recordings, the tape recordings, we're turning it into uh, a TV platform as well um, uh, for a network, Ficto, uh, and that should be ar out around uh, October, where you'll be able to see. We're 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 including the interviews. We're also adding uh, recreations, so it's a, a real documentary. You're going to see each one as a documentary, each each pillar. Elizabeth Rom joins us now, the star of Law and Order. She brings a personal experience to this show, The Killer's Vault. She's going to tell us all about it. And the big question that we need to examine, why are human beings violent? First of all, I have to stop and just say, Eric, I love you. The fact that we're doing something together again is so fucking awesome. I just... <laughs> I feel the same way. Seriously. Okay, that's it. I just... We haven't had a chance to talk, so... Yeah, we haven't seen each other since since we got here. Oh, you know, Jesse... Oh, my God. Yeah. I feel, and, I feel and, you know, Jesse... Sorry, Jesse, the, uh, the, when we were creating the podcast, when we were, we were developing this... The only two people that we did thought of from the beginning was Liz and Eric, and we were lucky enough to get both of them. Wow. We didn't went over to be asked. It's now, a project, dude. I was reading about your background, and you have you, there was a great question you asked in the regards to your uncle, who was 
shot and killed when, before you were born when he was 14 about the issue of why people become violent. I would love you to expand on that. Yeah, it's interesting. Having started recording for the show and talking to experts and so forth, you know, I, I, what I found interesting about Steve and, and Rob, who's with us, you know, um, you know, people who have been touched by either in their, some of their experiences, serial killers, but in my particular experience, I think uh, murder and um, the genesis of that kind of violence really had a deep impact on my family because my uncle was murdered at 14 by a friend of his. And, um, you know, I don't know how to say anything more impactful than that. I just think that it, it created a deep need for me to understand the criminal mind and also the way we handle murder and the way families handle it. And, you know, the show, you know, is sensational. The killer's vault is, is unbelievable. Never seen you know, before quite like this, but it's also called action to really sort of understand that kind of criminal mind and, and putting that out there. You know, this vault uh, teaches us quite a lot about that and the experts on this um, also. I just, so. I just think that the show is gonna be incredibly dark. You're gonna need to hold on to your, you know, hat, but I think it's also gonna be really informative. And even some of the experts we were talking about yesterday, how the killer's vault would be a tremendous blessing to, to any school that's, you know, teaching criminal psychology um, or interested in, you know, in, in the mind of the serial killer or the murderer, um, because the content is so deep and so complex because these relationships that Barbara and Richie had with all of these serial killers, they lasted quite a long time. So there's a very deep dive into the psychology. Well, you know, uh, Jesse, yeah, Jesse, yeah. Uh, Yes, uh, a couple of days ago, Liz and I were talking, and I had sent her um, the um, witness transcripts to the, the toolbox killers. And, you know, I, I wanted to give it to her for, for context because we we're doing the interviews with some of the, um, the psychologists. And she, she started reading it, and, and she said, that, and again, I'm bringing this up because we're all adults. We've all been through a lot of stuff in our lives. Um, you know, Liz has... Uh, uh, been involved in FPV, and I'm sure that there there were uh, a ton of real uh, um, uh, cases that they um, derived the show from. So she was aware, but when she read that that stuff, it really affected her. Like it affected me, um, uh, which is uh, which is pretty interesting and telling about about the content on the show. Yeah, it's very telling. I mean, I, I can't talk about exactly what I read, but um, you'll be learning all about it, and I think it's so cool and amazing that such a phenomenal actor like Eric is, you know, willing to embody in a sense, reading these letters and, um, and then the sort of intellectual analysis of it all. It's, it's going to really go hand in hand. It's going to be a very, um, I really think it's going to blow people's minds. Yeah. Eric, Eric is reading the letters in, uh, almost in character. Uh, um, he's such a good actor and he, he, uh, just working with him is incredible because he brings to it, you know, when you read the letters, um, it, it, it's, it, they all kind of will um, kind of fold into each other. But when he takes them and reads them separately and he puts that sort of spin on it, it's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Because you're actually feel like that killer is reading that letter to you. Thank you, Rob. I love hearing that from you, man. Well, you. come on, man. You're my man. <laughs> well, but I, I, it doesn't surprise me having made two movies with Eric. I mean, I was a fan way before I ever had the privilege of working with him as an actress and, um, and love his wife and, you know, just really such a fan and then get, getting to make two movies with him and then seeing what he's brought to um, recording because of the sizzle that I heard and just, I think it's going to really be shocking. It's very bold. I think it's very brave, this show. And I just, I don't think people have ever heard to the degree about these particular serial killers as we're presenting from these letters. Yeah. Well, can I can I can I take the onus off me now? Uh, what what like Robert did is lay a foundation here with these letters that is so intense, so hardcore, and so sobering. It is so sobering. It's like it's like um, if you use, you'll stop because it's, it's so upsetting. This is. This is reality. This is their reality. And Robert tapped into that. And then 
Rob built on that with this presentation of it and the and the educational aspect of why these guys are like this. It is the most moving, disturbing, and uncomfortably educational thing I've ever participated in, except there is the best docudrama ever made called Star 80 that Bob <laughs> did. It's kind of the same difference. It's so accurately, unfortunately sad, but mm -hmm. it's educational as can be. Uh, Great. Yeah, and really, and getting to know so much intimately about Ramirez and the Toolbox Killers and Gacy and Gore, I mean, I don't think that I had ever comprehended the depth of what I was about to dive into every day <laughs> as we recorded this. I mean... It did get nasty in places, didn't Man, it? Man, it got fucking nasty in places. I mean, some things I would read and I'd be like, hold on, I need a minute. Yeah, yeah I would. I would run to my wife. I would. Run, hey, Eliza, you won't believe this. <laughs> Crazy.